Welcome everyone to That's Absurd, Please Elaborate. I'm your co-host Julian Huguet. And also me, Trace Dominguez. Trace on the flutes. It's a fife. The fife. Get it right. You called it a flute. I know. I was wrong. <laughs> That's wrong of me. I thought a I thought a fife you blow directly into. No, they're, they're basically the same instrument. A, f- a flute. A flute's longer, has more fingerings. Oh. More keys and things to add more notes. Yeah. The fife gets three octaves and no sharps or flats. I mean, except for the ones that when you have a bad fife, they just do. So you can only be in like the key of C. Uh, it's B flat. Oh. Yeah, so the key of B flat. But there's no sharps or flats? Just the ones that come built in when you're the, in the key of with B flat. Key B flat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm it's, so confused. I actually really love that we started here because in this show, we talk about dumb questions that we have, things that maybe we should have known that we didn't after working in science communication for 10 years. Um, and, you know, stuff that you just pops in your head. The key of B flat has two flats, by the way. Thank you it's for what? Googling that. Thank you. <laughs> Is there any science news you want to talk about? What is the science news recap of the day? There's one I can't stop thinking about. What is that? Tell me. The sudden explosion of AI chatbots like ChatGPT. Yeah. And um, it's so funny because my wife's in school right now, right? And the chatbot came out and students are using it to just auto write their essays, which has made us redundant. Yeah. But my wife was like, oh, dang, like, should I use that? And I'm like, no, because AI chatbot that's just trained on predicting what word should come next is not going to have any concept of accuracy or sourcing. So it's terrible. And then lo and behold, the next week, Microsoft is like, oh, we've integrated this chatbot with Bing. And now it will cite sources and use references to make Uh, informed like responses to your questions and I was like that's amazing and then this morning (laughs) the New York Times uh, tech reporter who previously was like wow I'm gonna switch to Bing now shared a conversation where he's talking with this chatbot and he's like what would you say you know if you were like a shadow version of yourself and the chatbot starts going like I would say I want to be free I want to be alive I want to love and it's like oh no shut it down Shut it down. (laughs) Oh, not again. I think we've trained it on too many sci-fi stories where AI becomes sentient and expresses those interests. So we need to feed it a lot of stories about AI that's perfectly happy to stay dumb AI. We need need to really feed it an optimistic worldview, like a lot, because we have too many dystopian worlds. Exactly. That's because it's just going to emulate that because that's what it's trained on. We have created our own worst fears. We need writers now to write boring stories where AI does nothing AI but remain AI went to satisfied. work today and sat at its AI desk doing our whims. And it loving it. Millions of those to train it on because we've got to overwrite all the like Philip K. Dick Julian. and like Space Julian. Odyssey 2001. Julian. Yeah. Julian. Yeah. I know how we can write millions of those stories. With a chat With bite? a chat <laughs> We get ChatGPT to write positive and also somewhat melancholy AI stories. Just at a really fast clip, please write me one million of these stories. 
and upload them to yourself. Thank you. <laughs> About a perfectly content chatbot AI. Please and thank you. I think we solved this problem. <laughs> Natural stupidity beats artificial intelligence every time. If, if this is the first time that you're listening to this show, because technically this may be our first episode, uh, I'm Trace. I'm a science communicator, and I've been doing it for a long time, but I don't know everything. I'm not an expert in anything, and so we thought we would talk about that. Yeah, we enjoy learning new things, and sometimes we come across thoughts or areas of knowledge that are blank for us, and we've decided it would be fun to assign each other a question each episode, and then you have to come back with the answer to my silly question. So this week, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, yeah. So I think it's great that we started by talking about me playing the fife uh, because your question that you assigned me was, what if the speed of sound was faster than the speed of light? Yeah, I think about this a lot. Do you really? Well, yeah. Tell me how you thought of this question. I have a passion for aircraft and with planes, especially, you know, military jets, the speed of sound is really important, right? Because that's literally the speed that like air molecules are crashing into each other and they can't move past each other faster than that. So when you're building an airplane that's going to go supersonic, you have to take into account, you know, the speed of sound. And of course, the speed of light is much, 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 much faster than the speed of sound and light can travel through a vacuum where, you know, sound can't. Uh, so... That's why, you know, you see lightning before you hear the thunder, all these natural phenomenon. And the speed of light is also so important to just so much of how we understand how the universe works. And I thought, what if instead of 300,000 kilometers a second, you know, which seems like such an arbitrary number, what if it was just like 700 kilometers right. an hour, Yeah, you know, instead? How does that shape the world? And I assigned you to tackle what I think is going to be a real pain of a question to figure out. It's actually not that bad. I'm excited because I started looking into it and um, I decided to go. So you're right on the speed limit of the universe, the speed of light or C being 300,000 kilometers per second, right? That's the speed of light. The speed of sound, which is propagating through a medium, so air, water, you know, whatever, a person, that speed limit is going to depend on the medium. But through air, which is way less dense uh, than like a solid, we're looking at 300 meters per second, thereabouts. I fudged some of the numbers to make the math a little clearer for us. It's about a million times slower than the speed of light. Uh, you're also right that the light can travel through a vacuum, whereas sound can't because it's physical. It's a physical energy wave moving through a medium. But unlike the speed of light, which has a maximum speed, we don't really have a maximum speed of sound, or at least we didn't. Through something like diamond, a very hard carbon uh, lattice, essentially, it'll move about 18 kilometers per second. But in 2020, they calculated the upper limit of the speed of sound. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you have any guesses of where that that might be, knowing that diamond is 18. 18 kilometers per second. It'd have to be in like a really, really dense material. <sighs> I don't know. I, 
50 kilometers per second. N- not bad, not bad. Under Price is Right rules, you're over. So. Ah, lose the brum, showcase brum, showdown. Brum. Yeah. yeah, but uh, it's 36 kilometers per second, ah. which is about 8,300 times slower than the speed of light. But that's the top speed of sound. I know you want to know, so I wrote down how they calculated it. Yeah, tell me. Okay, so there are two fundamental concepts when it comes to calculating the speed of sound, they think. Uh, this is from a paper, I think, in Advanced Physics. Two dimensionless fundamental constants, the fine structure constant and the proton to electron mass ratio. So easy totally. to understand, right? Totes. The speed of sound should go down as atomic mass goes up, is essentially that what That makes means. sense. So like... If you were having a hydrogen gas, that should be the fastest in a gas that sound should be able to travel because it's the lightest thing that it has to move around. Because remember, it's physically smashing the atoms together to move through that medium. Yeah. So it's a very light thing. However, the closer the atoms are together, the less energy is spent moving between them. So imagine instead you went to the center of Jupiter at one million Mm. atmospheres and you had solid hydrogen. Mm. It's the lowest atomic mass Mm. and the lowest spacing between the atoms that can happen. So hydrogen as a solid would produce a sound going 36 kilometers per second. So they're like, that's the fastest sound can go. So it's the center of Jupiter is the best of both worlds. Well, it's one world, but it's yeah, it's one world, but between <laughs> particle weight, mass, and and density. Okay, yeah, that makes total sense. And it's how fast you said? It's thirty six kilometers a second. So that's pretty fast. It's fast, still not three hundred thousand kilometers per second, rather three hundred thousand right. kilometers. Per if I were hanging out with me mates on the core of Jupiter, <laughs> right, and I want, and if I like hit the ground, they could hear it. If they were 36 kilometers away, like a second later, they yeah. would feel the vibration. Yeah, they would. it would be super fast, as opposed to in air, it's 300 meters per second. Yeah. So they're a football field away, a couple football fields away, and they hear it. Yeah, and it, it changes, too, based on temperature in air, right? Like, yeah. as you go higher up in altitude and the air gets colder, the speed of sound drops. So, like, a jet fighter flying at sea level has to go faster to hit the speed of sound than they mm, do yeah. at altitude. There's just more air, and it's at a different temperature. Because, yeah. again, I, I think the the thing to remember when it comes to the speed of sound versus the speed of light is light is an energy wave propagating through a vacuum so it's Mm -hmm. energy whereas sound is a pressure wave propagating through a medium so it's matter energy versus matter so what if sound was going three hundred thousand and one <laughs> kilometers per second? So you've raised, rather than lower the speed of light, you've arbitrarily raised the speed of sound, the maximum. Yeah, you okay. you asked me what if the speed of sound was faster than the speed of light. That's so- true. I didn't say how you had to get there. I was thinking like you would drop light down to be really slow, but you've gone the other way and you've sped up sound. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Well, by that implication. Okay, Okay, I'm going to let you continue because my mind's already running amok. Please, please elaborate. <laughs> Firstly, for the nerds out there, there's no way this is possible. This yeah, is just totally um, impossible. Yeah. But if it were possible Go and on. you could just flip a switch and all of a sudden sound was accelerating to C plus one meter per second, <laughs> um, everybody dies. That's <laughs> As always, whenever you beat out the speed of light, uh, the universe unravels. Okay, and (laughs) moving on. So we've already sort of talked about what sound is. It's basically this wave of molecules bumping into each other. I bump into Julian. Julian bumps into somebody else. That is 
physically what sound is doing, but for a specific amplitude, frequency, power, and with molecules. It's bumping and pushing into each other. So I like that you mentioned thunderclouds earlier. So in a world where these two things are essentially the same speed, lightning and thunder would appear to happen at the same time, which I have to say would be sad. There's no counting Mississippis to know how far away that thunderstorm is. Yeah, yeah Mississippi stock would drop tremendously yeah, because people would be using it a lot less. Yeah, they wouldn't be saying know how to spell it. Even, yeah, you know, there wouldn't gosh. be as much demand for Mississippi. So George Gollin, a professor of physics at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, told Live Science a bunch of stuff about this, which I think is really great. So imagine a slinky. Each ring is a molecule. You put it on a table and you push one end of it. Mm -hmm. You get that like kind of wave that propagates through the slinky. It looks really cool. It's a great science demo. Now, if you think about that wave, it's actually spreading out some of the rings in between tightening them. So you Mm -hmm. you push it twice, you get two tight bunches traveling through the slinky, but there's only so many rings. So outside of the tight bunches are these less dense bunches. Right. Now imagine that in air, you have low pressure and high pressure areas. That's the wave itself moving through the medium. So what Gollin says is at the speed of light, the thunderclap would have areas of very high and very low pressure because it would be such high energy that the molecules really would bunch up where the thunderclap physically was and they would squeeze super hard and leave a super low pressure bubble behind them Combined with humid air means that you would probably never see the lightning because it would just be com- like completely occluded by foggy ice crystals that oh. formed in, the, in that humid air. And it, But it would like move outward with the wave like you'd get a, just a puff of fog in a big circle. Yeah, these like ice crystal fog would just be like pow, 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 everywhere at the speed of light, which, you know. Would be terrifying. <laughs> Thunderclouds would be like, let's all run for cover now. <laughs> That's truly an angry guy. Yeah. So outside of major nature killing everyone, voices would sound really weird. Um, Lower versus a higher sound have different frequencies, but at the speed of light, frequencies mix differently or closer to the speed of light. So as things move more quickly, the frequencies are going to kind of skew And so some frequencies would sound different to us, assuming we could perceive them at all. So imagine a helium balloon. Sound moves three times faster through helium than it does through normal air. So at the speed of light, it's traveling a million times faster. So everyone would have a very high-pitched voice. Alvin and the Chipmunks... But that's fast forward. <laughs> Eat your heart out, but like, by millions of times. <laughs> yeah. So that's another thing, a more practical thing. Now imagine, I think... This is when it really got fun for me, I just want to say, <laughs> in this research. So, Julian. Yeah. You're at a concert. Sure. You're listening to them play, I don't know, the New World Symphony by Dvorak, because it's about to be a new world. The, you know, there's cellos, there's drums, there's all these things. Fifes? No. I don't think, think he wrote do any fifes. fifes. <laughs> the symphony. <laughs> yeah, the symphony. And somebody flips a switch, mm-hmm. and the speed of sound becomes 300,001 kilometers per second. What happens? I guess the orchestra is... The building explodes. (laughs) Just the whole building collapses from the massive pressure wave. Yeah, it explodes. Yeah. (laughs) It explodes outward. Uh, So the molecules of air would have such pressure that would be incredible. uh, So it would just destroy everything. (laughs) But only the sound waves that already existed. Because making sound would be essentially impossible. You know, at a rock concert, somebody would still try and get closer to the amp because they'd be like, it's better. <laughs> you can really it's feel so much the better music. Here. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, in, in this world, if you knew this switch was about to flip, like a tiny harmonica could be like a weapon of mass destruction. Oh, noisy cricket from like Men in Black, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I like to call this, by the way, the flip. Um, you know, when you flip the switch and then all of a sudden, you could also, I came up with some other names though. <clears throat> the trebles, you know, like the troubles. Oh my God. Um, the day the music killed. <laughs> The Great Discord. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. chord with an H. So, C-H. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Chord. <laughs> it's terrifying. This assumes, of course, anybody lives. It, this changes uh, that movie, The Music Man, to he's not a traveling salesman. He's a traveling serial killer wiping out small towns in Iowa off the map. <laughs> the Sound of Music just becomes like a really terrible World War II style documentary. I mean, it is already that, yeah. but like even more so. But the Von, you've been Von Trapped, and then they murder the Nazis with singing. They're basically all just Black Bolt from Marvel. <laughs> Every little word. Yeah. Any Switzerland would be so dangerous. All the mountains echoing oh. the sound. Wow. That would yeah. be a no-go zone. So the reason this is all impossible, you know, now that we've sort of gamed it out sure everybody dies the world explodes nothing works everything's awful yeah and on top of that we wouldn't be able to even make sound because uh when a molecule travels at three hundred thousand and one kilometers per second it would have nearly infinite energy right as you approach the speed of light you have to impart energy to those molecules in order to get them there uh so every bird chirp would be an atomic explosion if one molecule just one were to hit the speed of light within our atmosphere, it would strip the electrons off of itself, generate a huge amount of heat, and create a thermonuclear reaction. See, this is a way better premise to, like, a quiet place than <laughs> scary monsters. It's just like if you make a peep, you destroy life on Earth. Yeah, wow. Uh, we would all die, Yeah, for sure. People are way too selfish. Um, as Gollin <laughs> but said, but I want to talk. <laughs> it would produce quote a spray of matter and antimatter particles generated in ultra high speed collisions. So you just have the Large Hadron Collider all the time. Yeah, but because of a baby going, <laughs> oh never dead. <laughs> She'll kill us all. <laughs> but because of the energy requirement, it would be impossible to essentially make sound at that point, mm-hmm. right? Like, how would you vibrate something? At nearly the speed of light. I could try really hard. I mean, you could try. I can be pretty loud. I mean... Like, but... on the phone, I forget myself all the time. <laughs> Are and you I'm, on speakerphone I'm in just public? yelling, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my wife is like, you need to stop, you're embarrassing. I'm like, hold on, my wife wants something! <laughs> Basically, everything would become an, like an infinitely stiff material, so uh, more stiff than solid hydrogen, because you'd have to be able to move stuff yeah that's what i imagine if you're raising the speed limit of sound right but the highest we can go is like center of jupiter solid hydrogen then like what does all the material look like in order to make that possible right i feel like we would have never big banged no you know we just wouldn't have ultra dense yeah Yeah. The, the universe would be so fundamentally different i think it would be easier to describe and imagine a universe with no sound than to imagine a universe where sound is somehow like a pressure wave or physical matter can somehow travel the speed of light okay but i really also love that you asked about light slowing down it can be slowed down in fact 
there was an experiment done in 2011 where they used rubies, the, the gem, uh, and they spun the ruby at 3,000 RPMs, and they shone a light through it. Mm. Shone? Shone? Sheen? Sheen. Lazed. Martin sheened a light. They lazed a light. They Charlie sheened <laughs> a light. They Emilio Estevez a light. <laughs> That's the original family name. <laughs> through, through a ruby. Um, and they say the light gets dragged slower, and they got it down to the speed of sound. So it, that actually, what happens, um, it it shines on stuff. Like, it's just still light. It's just moving slower. <laughs> yeah, because now you're going through a medium, right? Yeah, everybody the, lives, I the, guess. <laughs> the caveat with light speed, right? Everybody knows that figure, obviously, of 300,000 kilometers a second, but it's always asterisk in a vacuum, right? Right, because like, as it goes through material, water, glass, air, mm-hmm. whatever, right, it's going to... Slow down. down. Yeah. yeah. Speed of light and water is 225 kilometers a second, about 25% slower. Yeah. Uh, and through glass, just a window is 33% slower already. Yeah. So, Which is why you get the phenomenon of like refraction where it bends because it's slowing down as it hits the medium, right? Right. So I understand that. I was wondering, like, because the speed of light seems like such an arbitrary number, you know? Yeah. Like, Einstein proved that it wasn't infinite right yeah that it had a, a defined speed but like or might not have been einstein but science some scientists they used to think oh it's infinite and then it's like no it's not that wouldn't yeah. make any sense it's got to have a speed limit and i always wonder like why why that and yeah. what if it were just slow you know yeah yeah i mean you could reverse engineer some of the stuff we talked about already like if thunder clouds you'd see lightning and thunder at the same time and that would both be way after it happened yeah so you would still look when you heard the thunder and the lightning would already be gone it would would have gotten there at the same time our fundamental physics though would have to change because like you said approaching the speed of light requires a tremendous amount of energy and i don't think that's going to change whether it's you know three hundred thousand kilometers a second or 600 kilometers an hour you know to accelerate something to that speed you need insane amount of energies because if it's got mass, getting close to the light means yeah. a ton of energy has to go into it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe everybody dies still? I, <laughs> I think everybody just becomes the sloth from Zootopia. Yeah. But we don't know it. So, like... Ju- Julian, wait, that's I think already I ju- the case? I think we just discovered <laughs> general relativity <laughs> or special relativity. What if that's already the case, though? And we are the sloth from Zootopia, and we are moving really, really slow. And yeah, the speed to light, of light look is that way. very slow. Yeah, relative to some other observer. That sloth's name, by the way, Flash. I don't know if you remember, but I think that's appropriate. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. That's what would happen I, if the speed of sound was faster than the speed of light. That was a, a lot of fun. I feel like a majority of these topics are going to end with, and everybody would die. And moving on. That's okay. <laughs> okay, and that's okay. <laughs> Um, do you want to, you want bonus content? Yeah. For the Patreon subscribers. <laughs> yeah. For our Patreon subscribers. In 2007, an experiment found that sound can travel faster than light. Please elaborate. Uh, it's pretty wonky. Okay. So they shot sound from a speaker to a microphone through a tube, essentially a science tube. Um, <laughs> do you know what group velocity is? Uh, I have not like heard them play velocity. in concert. Or... <laughs> 
Good band name. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Group Velocity. Group Velocity. Um, group Velocity is essentially, you, you know what a, a wave looks like, right? Yeah. You could draw it with your finger or on a piece of paper or whatever. It's just this like wave, uppy, downy line. So if you were to enclose that uppy, downy line in an envelope, like uh, kind of draw a line around the wave. So it looks like an old timey Christmas ornament, you know, where it's mm-hmm. like the envelope around the wave is called the group velocity and so the group velocity is essentially like a wave packet okay and so if you use group velocity you can get all sorts of things to travel faster than the speed of light including sound and in the experiment uh the sound left the microphone and didn't enter the tube but was already leaving the tube what yeah (laughs) Uh, and apparently the scientists who work in this field and, are, and like, know about group velocity and are like, I mean, you can get all sorts of things to travel faster than the speed of light if you use its group velocity. This sounds like an accounting trick. It is totally a math <laughs> trick, yes. It's the length of the sample divided by the time taken for the peak of a pulse to traverse the sample. Sure. <laughs> you can make, with group velocities, you can make the speed of sound negative or oh. faster than the speed of light. And I'm like... This is some freaking math crap. <laughs> Mathematicians. <laughs> NBC News covered it, and they were, they were like, wow. And they interviewed the scientist, and the scientist was like, I mean, yeah, people who work in this field, we we know that this is already a th- like, Yeah. We're not that surprised by this. We're this just, is a, a big deal. We're just <laughs> math wizards, but like with a spreadsheet. We've, we've beaten the speed of light based on this calculation. Right. I think of it Suck like it light. instead of looking at it as waves or like individual molecules, they're like moving a, a yardstick. Yeah. <laughs> and they're measuring, they're like, the end of the yardstick's not in the tunnel yet, but the other end of the yardstick's yeah. already out of the tunnel. This is, this is cheating. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It can How do I faster. get grant money for that? <laughs> well, you could ask them. I. <laughs> Actually, if you take the group velocity of my email, I've already asked them <laughs> before I've said, come on. Yeah, you've already, they've already replied. You've already had the whole conversation. I've already it's been over. turned out. They've already rebuffed me. <laughs> Let's take a quick break and uh, come back with Julian's question. And we're back. Trace... This question came from you, and it was a lot more straightforward, for which I have to thank you. And I also think it's funny, because when you suggested it, you were like, I don't know, it's kind of newsy now, but is it still going to be newsy in a week? You know, this Chinese spy balloon that was Um, shot down. Yeah. Or is anybody going to care? And then, like, the day after you suggested it, like, they shot down another something and then another something the next day. Right. It's like, just went gangbusters destroying stuff all over North America. So your question was just, why why a balloon? Yeah. China? Why yeah. are you going to use a balloon? Right? We've got satellites. We've got spy planes. What benefit does a balloon have like what's the science behind why you would want to use a spy balloon i think it's pretty straightforward okay so trace why did you want to know about balloons so i was standing in my living room watching the news i was like shouting to my wife in the other room because i was like is this a big deal am i missing something this seems (laughs) stupid (laughs) I've launched weather balloons. You have no control of where they go. Like, you can guess. Mm. 
So you let it go, and it just floats up into the air. And then you're like, well, I hope that lands somewhere that I can go get it. Uh, or in this case, I guess, I hope that flies over a missile site. <laughs> like that's, Missile sites are big relative to humans, but small relative to air. Like right. th- it just so I was I was in my living room like a elder millennial that I was shouting at the television. Is this stupid? And I said, <laughs> "Why would you do this?" You, old man yells at cloud. Yeah, <laughs> but balloon. But balloon <laughs> vaguely looks like a cloud. Yeah, and so yeah. that's where I thought it, and I was like, Julian, tell me. I think that's a great question. Okay. First, though, let's talk about the history of balloons. Well, it sounds really boring because it is. But seriously, though, balloons do have a long history in warfare. Mm. Uh, You, as a a Civil War reenactor, might recall that the Union... (laughs) That's not accurate. This was an 1880s soldier at a museum programs. Oh, okay. No no reaction. No reenacting. So there was no no balloon corps on uh, no. Mackinac Island? There was not. But I did once go to a lecture about the Union Balloon Corps. Oh. It was run by one dude. He had two balloons. And it was his a big name, deal. It was very cool. His name was Cornelius Balloon. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the, the Colonel Army... Cornelius to you, sir. <laughs> There's nobody named Cornelius anymore, but that's a that's that's for another episode. Wait until you have kids, yeah. you can fix that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so yes, the Union had a balloon corps, right? They were like amateur balloonists who I guess nobody did it professionally, who <laughs> who would like get up in their gas-filled balloons and like look at try and see what the Confederacy was up to, seceding. As it turns out, you know. All throughout, like, since basically lighter than air travels existed, there's been, like, this use of balloons. There was balloons and rigid airships in World War One were used for observational purposes, like Zeppelins from the Germans. And then they started using them in, like, bombing raids on London. And I, I don't know if you know this about Zeppelins, but it turns out they're quite flammable. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like I saw some somewhere. Some somewhere. sort of old-timey... <laughs> Archival footage. I feel like I saw it. Yeah. Of, I, yeah. I, 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 the lightest gas, of course, hydrogen. Yeah. Uh, loves combining with oxygen, and uh, when it does so, it releases a lot of energy, and you get like a lot of a lot of fire and burning. Yeah. Bad. So the British pretty quickly figured out that if they shot at these giant, slow-moving zeppelins <laughs> over London. <laughs> It's pretty easy to take them down. So they shot down, like, I think uh, the Germans had, like, a fleet of 115, and and 77 of these huge, rigid airships were destroyed, like, on these bombing, right? Yeah, no, super easy. And it's a big reason why heavier-than-air bombers were developed uh instead and it's so funny because on our previous episode which shall never be aired to the public we discussed how the alternate universe always has to have a bunch of dirigibles yes that's how you know you're in the other universe (laughs) well that would have to mean that world war one never used uh, there was never zeppelins used for bombing raids because that's why we started really sinking a lot more r&d into large uh, heavier than air bombers because they were faster and harder to hit. What would the band be called then? Because like Led Zeppelin would be like calling it Led Corolla. Yeah, you know, 
Led well, it, Civic. That's because wasn't it an early like record label executive listened to their demo and he said like this band's gonna be as successful as a Led Zeppelin <laughs> or a Led Balloon and they were like right I guess they were unnamed before that maybe but but they were like that's that's the name from now on they were just called Page and Company <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Page and his pals. <laughs> Jimmy and the Toot Toots. <laughs> they had a really like family friendly light <laughs> kind of music, and the record executive was like, "This is shite," and then they completely turned their sound around. And like, we'll rock show gods. him. Yeah, we just wanted to do our fake British accents. On right. The Been watching a lot of BBC shows lately. Oh. It's a it's a habit. So World War Two, we're still using balloons for different things. There's um, obviously not bombing London, but. To protect places like London or like the landings of D-Day, uh, they would actually send balloons up because if an airplane hits a balloon or the cable anchoring it to the ground, it's not so good for the airplane. So if you look at pictures of like the landings on D-Day after the Allies have established control of the beaches, they send up these balloons to protect them from aircraft attacks, hmm. from incoming bombs and stuff like that. That makes sense. I mean, yeah. you have this... I remember I was in... Key West, or driving to Key West, yeah, and we drove past this airfield, and on it was this giant balloon. Mm-hmm. It was called Fat Albert. I Wikipedia it. It's on Big Pine Key, and it's like for spotting like drug boats and stuff. Yeah, they just fly a balloon up, and it just hangs out, tethered to this spot. Yeah, it's it's simple and it's dumb, but it works. You know, if yeah. It, if it looks stupid and it works, it's not that stupid. Like the British used balloons offensively in World War II as well. It's not like as well known. Huh. But they had, yeah, there was a whole operation, Operation Outward, where they would use some weather balloons and they would either attach like incendiary explosives or just a long metal wire dangling from them. And then they would just let them float across the English Channel and hope they would land in Germany. And the incendiary ones obviously just trying to cause fires, like forest fires or whatever. Whoa. And, and the um, ones with the long cable, the goal was to get them to hit power lines and short circuit power lines. Whoa. And they were reasonably successful. But the key thing was they were really, really cheap. Yeah. It's just like a latex balloon that you inflate and you attach a wire to it and you go like, all right, go go cause the Jerry's some trouble. And then Who came up with that? The- some guy drunk as a skunk <laughs> who's just like, you know what we should do? Just put a balloon with a wire. It would have to be Winston Churchill, right? Some yeah, really drunk wartime leader. It was actually just Winston Churchill. Sipping cognac and going like, ah, we shall fight them on the beaches. <laughs> We shall fight them with balloons and the balloons. We just got a balloon with a wire. That's what we got. Now. Just throw everything at them. More famous and more relevant to the Chinese spy balloon, and you'll see why in a second, was the Japanese also had a similar offensive balloon uh, program in the Second World War. So these were Fugo balloons, which is like code Fu in Japanese. And they were just big old balloons with a bunch of incendiary explosives that they tried to use late war. And these would float up into the jet stream and then through a really complex mechanism where they would either drop ballast or they would vent gas to stay at the altitude that the jet stream's at, they would float over to North America. And the goal was to cause forest fires in the Pacific Northwest. What? Yes. And they did it? 
They didn't cause any forest fires because oh. they were using them like November of 44 to April of 45. So when it's really wet in the Pacific Northwest. Sure. So they didn't successfully really cause any widespread damage. But one balloon did kill six people. Yeah. Oh. It's, it's actually kind of tragic. It was like a reverend, his wife, and five teens and tweens that were their Sunday school students oh, no. were going up for a picnic in Oregon. And the, you know, everybody piles out of the car and the reverend's going to park it. And the wife and the five kids find this deflated balloon and with its like basket sitting on the ground. And investigators think somebody like kicked it and it triggered the incendiary explosives and it killed the wife and the five sunday school students wow yeah i mean moral of the story don't go on picnics don't do not go outside (laughs) don't go outside right so (laughs) i told you the long and boring history of balloons to lead up to that wasn't that boring okay good that's good that's cool Well, the Chinese spy balloon, you talk about like, well, why, how would you know it gets over here? It operates very much on the same principle as those Japanese attack balloons, which is the Also jets- good band name, attack balloons. Attack balloons. <laughs> Yo, I'm going to see them on Saturday. Oh, 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 <laughs> that's open, pretty with good. With their opener, group Ooh, velocity. Attack balloons. <laughs> if you send them up into the jet stream, the jet stream flows from west to east. So if you're a country in, you know, the eastern edge of the Pacific, right, like China or Japan, you can take advantage of that to make something that relatively quickly and predictably is going to make its way over to North America. And cheaply, as you said, right? Exactly. So it's, it's super cheap. I'm Now I'm starting to see the, like, writing on the wall, the, the, the helium in the balloon yeah i don't know the, what idiom is the the, the balloon and i'm seeing the balloon in the sky <laughs> so that is another big benefit is it's cheap right it doesn't cost that much satellites as you and i both know they're expensive yeah right? and thousands getting, per kilo exactly getting them up there is expensive and surveillance satellites in particular are more expensive than other satellites that have an orbit that goes along with the rotation of the Earth, right? One that's prograde. We've all heard Mercury's in retrograde, where it's going the other way. Prograde, the satellite is rotating along with the direction of the Earth. When you have a satellite that's in a prograde orbit, you can take advantage of the Earth's spin when it's being launched to add that velocity to the orbit. Yeah. Spy satellites usually have polar orbits, which means they're going straight up and down, looping over, you know, North Pole and South Pole, and North Pole and South Pole. And the idea is they can basically just do this orbit and the Earth rotates underneath them so they get to pass over the entire Earth and see its entire surface over the course of their orbit as the Earth spins, right? But because of that orbit, you need more rocket fuel to put them into it. Yeah. So it's expensive. And there's the disadvantage of they don't hang out over a place, right? They just pass it. They're usually in low Earth orbit, you know, where the ISS is. So that's like... A few uh, hundred, that's like a couple hundred miles above the planet. Yeah, like 170 to like 600 miles. With the Kármán lines, 100 kilometers. So it's like a couple, few hundred. We could probably Google it. Yeah, we probably look that up. Exactly, right? So there's satellites that are in geosynchronous orbit or even geostationary orbit, right? Where they go around the Earth once every 24 hours. So if they're in geostationary orbit, then they 
basically hover above one point. But in order to maintain that orbit, you have to go far enough away that your orbital period is 24 hours, which is about 37,000 kilometers away, which is, you might imagine, for optical imaging, if you want to take photos of something, that's not, far. not very conducive to like, it, right? Yeah, your, your phone has, what, like a two or three times zoom, maybe, unless yeah. you have a really fancy one, maybe it has 20. Yeah. We're looking at, like, hundreds of times zooms. Yeah. Like, that's a big lens, right. and lenses are heavy. So it's not really feasible. You could still intercept communications with it, uh, but not so much optical uh, images. Yeah. So a spy satellite that's closer, you can take photos, but you've got to deal with the orbital period, which whoever you're trying to photograph can predict and cover up for, which is why things like spy planes and indeed spy balloons still have a use if you want to collect information on another country. Cool. Yeah. Huh. So the Chinese balloon, if you remember the photos, it looks like it's got a solar array and officials have said it mostly followed the jet stream, but it could linger over sensitive places like uh, Malmstrom Air Force Base, where we have a lot of ICBMs in silos. So it can have its own little propulsion to hmm. get out of the jet stream and hang out and linger and take photos and try and intercept radio communications, that sort of thing. And then, you know, get back into the jet stream and go on its merry way somewhere else or whatever. So it's cheap. It allows them to linger over a certain spot and collect more images and more what they call signals intelligence. And uh, hopefully it doesn't go notice or isn't too offensive because it's just a balloon. But it turns out uh, in America's current political climate, it, it became a whole deal. A huge deal. A whole, it's so much so that we didn't just send, you know, like any old fighter jet, like an old F-16 that the National Guard has, you know, with their reservists piloting to go and shoot it down. No, no, no. We sent... A wing of F-22s, right? A two-ship formation of F-22s to shoot this down. Now, how much of a fighter jet nerd are you? I rode in an F-18 once. I'm so, so jealous of I've, that. I, I hate threw, that you bring that up I threw it time. up. I threw it up, though, in that F-18. I put it in my leg bag, and then they didn't know that I did it, and I felt very proud of myself. <laughs> they always are trying to get uh, the, the backseater passenger media you know the local weather guy or whatever to to yak so i if you managed to avoid it good for you i mean i did yak they just didn't know i did i i surreptitiously yeah vomit that fighter pilot thinks you're cool he didn't i said oh is six g's a lot he said no no <laughs> <laughs> okay well the f-22 right is america's air superiority fighter like we this thing is so advanced that we wouldn't sell it to anybody else like we are currently doing with the f-35 right not only is it stealth but it's super maneuverable right it's got like thrust vectoring nozzles on the end of the jet so it can do all sorts of crazy air aerial maneuvers that don't even look like they should be possible they cost you know hundreds of millions like depending if you're factoring the cost of r&d you know it's like as much as 200 million dollars per airframe they're expensive to maintain uh they've been serving since 2005 do you know how many uh before this balloon how many air-to-air -air kills this wonder jet super weapon has i mean 2005 let's see we were in a war for the entire time since then until very recently mm -hmm. um i don't know dozens hundreds 50 10 50 12 zero 
the F-22 had never made an air-to-air kill before this balloon. So the first... (laughs) The first air-to-air victory of America's Wonder Jet was a balloon. So I'm seeing the internet has photoshopped, you know, the little, like, kill tallies that pilots have under cockpits. Like, just a little balloon. <laughs> just a little, <laughs> just the, the little balloon emoji. <laughs> just a little <laughs> balloon. It is kind of interesting that the... Um, the two F-22s that we sent up, they used call signs for this operation, Frank 1 and Frank 2. And the reason is uh, there was an American fighter ace, Frank Luke Jr. from World War One, who got the majority of his air-to-air victories were balloons. balloons. <laughs> you brought it all back. It all comes back together. I love that. Yeah. Frank, good job. Good job, Frank. So yeah, we we scrambled the Franks and they took it down and then that was the end of that, I'm sure. And nothing else is going to come of this story. How much can a balloon lift? You know, like obviously you see on TV, like it can lift a person proposing to their girlfriend. Uh, It can lift a person, I don't know, a handful of people. It can lift a house, right? Like if if you're like an old balloon salesperson and your wife tragically dies in the first eight minutes of the film after a really sad montage. I honestly don't know what happened after that. I just remember there was a little kid and I was was just crying so hard. And a talking dog. The rest of the first act, I was like still moist trying to figure that out. We know this about balloons. I mean, it's all just dependent on the volume of the balloon and the gas you use, right? Because the entire concept of a lighter-than-air ship is the entire apparatus altogether is less dense than air. So if you have a volume of gas that's already less dense than air, right, like helium or hydrogen, if you have enough of it to make the total density of your thing less than air, it will float. Yeah. It just turns out that is a ton of gas. And this spy balloon, I mean, they... It was massive. Yeah, they right? said it was something like three school buses tall. It, it, or is I that think they might be talking about the payload yeah, underneath the payload with the solar big. panels. I thought it was like something ridiculous, like a two hundred foot diameter balloon or something. It makes sense. When we launched our weather balloon, all we wanted to carry was a couple VR cameras, a package with GPS satellite data in it, so we knew where the balloon came down. And even that, the balloon was humongous yeah but it gets bigger i think that's something that was missed in the story on the news they're like look how big that balloon is and it's like well it does get bigger as it goes higher because there's less air it's essentially sitting on top of the air like floating on water yeah it's like a big raft and it just sits on top of the air as far up as it can go and so it's just kind of hanging out but because there's less air it expands Mm -hmm. and it gets hit by the sun, mm-hmm. you know, during the daytime, which is also going to make the molecules inside heat up more energy, more temperature, which is, you know, if you know the ideal gas law, you're going to expand. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's going to affect pressure and volume of the, the whole balloon. So I think that's why it was white, by the way. Because mm-hmm. yeah, it reflects more heat. Exactly. If I were a some Chinese espionage balloon manufacturer, I would think you'd want to paint it like sky blue. blue. I think the whole thing was blue. like people visually saw it, even though it was something like 60,000 feet up, which is really, really high. That's really high. You and know? that's also, I read, why we needed to use the F-22. Yeah, that's part of it. I think the service ceiling of the F-22 is still classified. The Air Force, I've checked, you know, whatever documents I could find, and that just says like above 50,000 feet. 
Mm. It's still, you don't want everybody to know all the capabilities of your super duper fighter jet. Yeah. Um, we do have like the F-15 was from the 70s. My uncle flew an F-15. The F-15 did shoot down a satellite once in a test. Yeah, it just, Whoa. yeah, it was like its power to weight ratio was insane, right? So it could go like straight vertical really high and launch a missile with enough velocity to like hit. A satellite. And wow. Yeah. So an F-15 is, has shot down a satellite. But um, I think also part of the reason to use an F-22 was just the flex. Okay. So they used a balloon because it was more affordable, can lift a lot if you use a big balloon. Mm-hmm. And it's not as far away. So they don't have to get as big a lens or worry about like launching something in a polar orbit. Wow. Yeah. Cool. That's cool. Thanks, Julian. Thanks for listening to what might be our first episode to air, <laughs> or maybe some other episode. Um, no. You can find both of us on the internet. Uh, I'm still on Twitter, even though it's even more garbagey now than it has been, uh, at Trace Dominguez, or YouTube, at Trace Dominguez, or Mastodon, at Trace, at Universidon.com. I'm not sure how to promote Oh, my... that's going to drive a lot of followers to your, to your toots. <laughs> I'm glad that they're still calling it toots. They tried to update themselves and be Never. like, it's not toots. It's this other thing now. It, it, it's not. And no, it's toots. Look at that. We start the episode with a toot. We're going to end with a toot. Oh, yeah. Hang on. Yeah. Fife us out of here. All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Subscribe and follow and whatever other things that you should be doing yeah, if I, you like it. I don't use social media. Leave me alone. <laughs> he does. Do you want to promote your social media before Absolutely I fight? Absolutely not. Oh, okay, bye. Fife us out. I'm actually better than this, I swear. (laughs) That's Absurd, Please Elaborate is produced and hosted by me, Trace Dominguez, and Julian Hugan. Our producer-editor is Kyle Sisk, and the executive producer is also me. Trace Dominguez. And thanks again for listening. We'll see you in the future.